Hello, I'm Aisha, and you're listening to Tossing Pennies. Um, so this is going to be probably the first episode of this podcast, and I had been kind of ping-ponging, ping-ponging, I had been kind of going back and forth on what I wanted the first podcast topic to be about, and I guess this is this morning I grew, I just woke up and I was like, I'm just going to record something about any of the several outlines that I've been kind of collecting and working on over the past couple of weeks. So I think academic culture has been something especially on my mind, especially since I'm back in full mood with like my school and things are picking up. So I'm thinking a lot about just schooling and academia as a as a whole and I thought this was a good platform to kind of talk about that and talk about just like personal commentary on uh, from a, from the perspective of someone who is in college right now and just reflecting on being having been a student for almost almost like a decade and a half at this point um, but also just kind of bringing in a lot of the other things that I've been le- learning about and kind of um meshing that into something that can just be a conversation on academic culture. Um, a couple of points that I just wanted to say to start out with, this conversation is going to be quite America-centric, and I think that's important to point out just because academia and access to like access to education as a whole and just also the culture around getting that education differs greatly, just even state to state in America, but very much so also just like country to country. So just from the perspective of someone who has studied and lived in America her entire life, uh, this is, I think that I would give most input about academic culture in America. So this is what this is going to be. Um, Something I kind of briefly mentioned before anyway, but I think it's also important to acknowledge even with our complaints against the academic like academic systems and education, I think it's important to recognize that just even getting an education um, is a privilege. And I, with all my complaints, it's also something that I am grateful to to even have in terms of just the opportunity. And um, that's kind of just the main talking points just to, I wanted to get those out of the way. Um, and just starting with the academic culture in more of its just putting more context to to some of the main grievances against education and schooling. Um, when I was just doing some research and some background work for this podcast topic, I came across this term, it's called the factory model system. And I learned that A, it is a controversial term because a lot of people very strongly agree that it's a thing and a lot of people do not. Uh, kind of just defining what it even means. It's kind of... Um, a terminology used to describe the very industrial manner of education in America. So um, there is this one quote that I found from, I think it was another video essay I was watching, or I can't remember exactly what, but it was a really good quote that I think really summed up this idea very well. Um, And I believe that it's by it's by Alvin Toffler, and it's from a book that he wrote in 1970, a book or a paper, I'm not too sure on what, but it's um, a quote by him, and it goes, the whole idea of assembling masses of students, raw materials, to be processed by teachers, 
workers in a centrally located school, factory, was a stroke of industrial genius. The whole administrative hierarchy of education as it grew up followed the model of industrial bureaucracy. The very organization of knowledge into permanent disciplines was grounded on industrial assumptions. Children marched from place to place and sat in assigned stations. Bells rang to announce changes of time. The inner life of the school thus became an anticipatory mirror, a perfect introduction to industrial society. The most criticized feature of education today, the regimentation, lack of individualization, the rigid systems of seating, grouping, grading, and marking, the authoritarian role of the teacher are precisely those that made mass public education so effective an instrument of of adaptation for its place and time. So I I think that does a really good job of putting putting a good picture of like what it means when we say that school or just the schooling schedule, the schooling system today is very much a reflection of the time that it was being created in, which was like peak industrial revolution and a product of just making sure that people who were leaving school were prepared to be part of the mass of workers who were participating in the severely industrialized um, workplace at that time. And um, this, this kind of gets to this other point of another quote that is actually by John D. Rockefeller. And it goes, I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. And I think that's a quite predictable quote coming from him. Um, and I think it just goes hand in hand to why these systems were created in the first place. I think it's also interesting to just remark on how Rockefeller donated one point two one, almost $1.3 billion to um, the General Board of Education back in like the early 1900s. I think it was like 1907. And I mean, like, just the idea of people of that sort in so heavily financially influencing and hence just like influencing schooling system is a, a very good reason why the system is the way that it is today in terms of just the very industrial mentality of not really giving a lot of room for individualized learning or just learning habits that um, differ for, per, from person to person. And the very makeup of classrooms and schools is about just giving students education and giving them lesson plans and teaching them material and then testing them on that material. And if they don't, they're not able to like accomplish this very standardized um if they're they're not able to pass these very standardized benchmarks of success, then they're a failure. And I mean, there's so much wrong to that in so many different ways. Like A, just with learning, um, just just with like the variety of of, of learning abilities and people and how not everyone learns the same. That's like the most obvious obvious method. Also for people who learn differently than others in the the context of like learning disabilities or, needing different resources and not even to mention the inadequate learning resources based off of demographic, based off of tax bracket, based off of like where you went to school and what opportunities you had and how competitive that makes you for later points in life. Like for example, when you're applying to college and in one call and in one high school, you just had more access to guidance counselors who actually cared about or who had more resources to give you in terms of like extracurriculars that you can get involved with and how you can do things to better your you know, your application or your pitch to college versus, you know, going to a high school where your guidance counselors are, um, you know, there's one guidance counselor for like every 80 or 90 students and they're less adept or they're less, they're less um, able to 
give you guidance on things like that and you're unable to do several extracurricular activities or you know build a good resume something that will um get you or get you into colleges that you might be particularly interested in and it's just it's like these this this obsession with standardization and this obsession with with like having everything be on one benchmark so that it's like less work for like the upper people to have to figure out it's made school miserable and it's made schooling something that um like you have to get used to rather than it being the other way around where you're accommodating for individuals and you're and you're and you're letting them get get the most out get an education while not like completely having to detract from being the age that they are or having other interests and things of that sort and that's just kind of my little rant about um you know the one size fits all the factory model system and i think it's just also like a good thing to 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 know about because i maybe in passing had heard about this but i think it's it's an interesting concept that or just it's an important it's important history it's an important part of the history of education and for that reason i think that it's important to to recognize why schooling is the way that it is today and when you figure that out figuring out like where change is most efficiently going to cause, um, you know, positive impact on students. Um, and I kind of already went into the high school college kerfuffle of it all, like just the transition from having to go to high school to college and all the things that you have to do to, um, you know, be able to go to college on your own terms in terms of where you end up going. Um, where it matches your interests and things of that lane. So kind of just building off of that, I just wanted to kind of zone in on something that I kind of mentioned in passing about the transition from high school to college. And I have a couple of things that I would like to say, especially being someone who like relatively recently went through the process of having to apply to college and being a high schooler um, especially in a high school where college was something that was like very often talked about, like especially since like literally since ninth grade, we had students who were talking about like what college they were targeting and all the extracurriculars and the research and the club plans that they had to get a good CV and get a good um, application by the end of their, their four years or their three and a half years in, in high school. And to that, I have a couple of points. I think one is something that I thought a lot about, especially after watching this video essay. It's titled The Age of Achievement, um, and it's by Amanda Mariana. And I think it, it, it does a really good job about talking about the American obsession with being like a, pro, with being like a prodigy, um, especially in the sense that when I was when I was listening to her talk about this, and she makes a couple, she makes a bunch of really incredible points. But I, some of my own reflections on this idea is I think it just goes back to like the human obsession with things that are just odd. As much as a society we hate or banish and kind of try to distance ourselves from things that are not 
societally normal or whatever else you want to say about something that is that comes across weird or odd it's it's like really fascinating how much we are fascinated by things that are are different or weird or kind of out of the norm whether we're talking about things that like gain traction on social media things that end up on headlines right it's 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 always like things that are kind of just like out of the normal line of vision of things that you see on a day-to-day basis and that's what makes it so attractive and there is this element to that in 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 academia as well it's it's all about like doing the new thing and being the best in xyz and being the best the younger that you are and that's like the idea of of not only just like being a prodigy but being like a prodigy at a young age and um there was a quote that she kind of shared in that video and it goes um, the youth is being so youth is a new global currency and I think that there's a lot of truth to that especially like in a lot of these popular magazine or um, just in, in, in website entries that you see about like Forbes 30 under 30 and like the the next the next 20 or like or there was like another website that I was on the other day and it was like the 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 top 20 people to be looking out for um under the age of 20 or things of that sort where there's like this age limit and you are like the next big thing because you are fitting into because you are excelling at a young age and there's something like really odd and so something worth being attracted by because of that and when she was talking about just this entire complex of really loving like young people doing incredible things um it reminded me of like the theme behind the greatest showman when um i don't remember the characters names but there's like this idea that like the circus has been created kind of as a product of people just like coming because they like seeing things that are just odd whether it's like you know humans doing really dangerous and like death defying things or animals or um, whatever it is, like just things that look different and do different things is what's so appealing about a circus, or at least that's what the theme in The Greatest Showman was. And it kind of reminded me of that because I think this idea of, of liking young people to do things, headlines that are always starts with the person's age and it goes like 13 year old gets like a 1600 on their SAT or, you know, like watch this, like, oh, the Olympics are going on right now. And there's this obsession with like these the, these young 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 figure skaters for example or these young like athletes and how they're doing these incredible things and obviously you know even adults or older people who end up getting who end up doing incredible things in these sports or getting gold medals or whatever doing any form of achievement that gets celebrated but there's like this lo- different level and there's like this different dynamics surrounding the celebration of young people and their achievement because the ability to do that at a younger age is just so fascinating to people. And that kind of, I think, plays into a lot of the high school to college transition nowadays, where in these applications, you're just trying to to just be this really unique person who has done all these incredible things or has a very specific background or story or whatever it may be. And it's draining because you're literally asking like 16, 17 year olds to, to pick apart their life and find the most unique thing about their lifespan and just present that to you in an essay or in the form of a resume. 
but it's also just so utterly unnecessary because most of society is not like that. And I think that there's like this weird, I think that there's this, and I think that that puts like this completely unrealistic expectation on good applicants to have these unnecessarily flamboyant things about them to be considered interesting or a good applicant. Um, which is like one of my first points. It's just about like this weird obsession that we in America, I'm going to say America, I would, I would say it's a global phenomenon, but I think especially just it's, it, it, I've seen it, I've seen, I see it a lot in America and in American media where there really is this obsession with the young people doing great things. And um, it's draining to say the least. <laughs> I also think that um, with this trend that we have where, you know, grades are not everything, which is fantastic, but it's also interesting to think about uh, with this trend that we have where you don't only need like a 4.0 to get into, into like a top 50 school or whatever, whatever like really insane average or standardized test score that you need. Um, that hasn't become like the only quota. Other things are also considered, which is, you know, on one hand, great. But on the other hand, it's like a very fine line be between like when or where you're able to um, you know, be able to openly talk about your interests and make that be, and let that give like a holistic image of yourself to these app people who are going to be evaluating your application. I think that it also just creates this, this, this system where you are exploiting your interests in a sense. I think as someone who was in high school, I really felt that because I felt like I was doing a lot of, a lot of these random things that I maybe did not have a lot to show for, um, but just things that brought me joy and things that I really liked. And on the one hand, if I thought that this could be taken to the quote unquote next level where I could do something more substantive of it, I like would have to exploit that interest or that passion for it to become something that I could, you know, end up writing something about and not just like leave it as a hobby. And on the other end, things that weren't things that I would be able to make or accomplish into real things by the time that I was applying to college, those were things that just kind of like took the backseat. And I think that, you know, maybe it could be said that that was just like an individual experience, but just from conversations with friends and um, just noticing people around me and people online, I know that I'm not alone in that experience. And so there is a fine line between where your interests and your outside activities are getting celebrated as part of your application versus where as a student you feel you have to exploit those interests and those hobbies um, to be a unique or interesting applicant. And that's also exhausting. <laughs> um, I think also just another conversation that I think I wanted to include in this podcast was just about the difficulty in finding an identity outside of school. Ever since like, since you turn four or five, you find yourself in a classroom, like basically how much like basically like 11 months or maybe okay not 11 months maybe like nine months out of 12 so at least like 75 percent of your year you just spend in a classroom maybe more actually and then when you go into college that decreases increases for people but it's just it's like this process where as soon as you turn a certain age, school becomes such a central part of your identity. And on the one hand, like it's an, it's an, it's a center for education. It's an opportunity to like meet people and grow and do all these great things. 
But on the same hand, it's it's really hard to find identity and and to find interest in people outside of school. And I I I was I was reading this thing the other day. Um, and I say a lot of these things and I say a lot of these problems. And I think I always find it really annoying when I hear other people in video essays or podcasts just like line out the problems and just not give any input beyond just the problem. And it's just like, okay, I just listened to you complain for like two hours. And I guess that is what I'm doing at some extent. But also, but also, I don't know if it's up to me to figure out like, the perfect way to run things. You know, I am a product of the American schooling system, specifically the New York City schooling system. And there are a lot of problems that I can point out to as a student or someone who has gone through that system. But it's it's a completely different thing to figure out like, how do we solve these issues? On the one hand, I think it's like a problem with the just administration of schools. And I think that's a very obvious one. Um, I think sometimes it's not even just about students taking school to heart, but it's about the environment that makes students become anxious or become people who have to align them their identity very closely with school to be good at school or to feel that they are doing well in school. And I think that environment gets created by admins and teachers in the first place. And it's important to create a new generation of teachers where learning is, 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 is something that is just happening because it's important and because you like what you're learning and you know I, I it's also just a completely unrealistic to be like you know people should just learn whatever they want to learn because a lot of times if you don't have enforcement if you don't have some if you don't create a serious environment of academia you're not going to get a mass of educated people and that's true but I also think that there has to be a lot more individualization in the schooling system and I think teachers and admins need to be a lot more involved in that in that process and it's I know that a lot of them have a lot of grievances as well but they're also the main actors and I think that in in, in small ways it it's hard but it's not impossible to make changes in your own classrooms that can completely change the, tra the trajectory of someone's education experience educational experience um and that's like my main point on like how do we fix this I mean obviously there's like a huge systematic effort that needs to be made but I also think that it's not I think that in, in this current culture of where things like mental health are being given a lot more importance than ever before and um, academia is, is is being made a little bit more humane than it was in the past you know you have a lot of these admins and teachers like complaining about it and saying like I agree with these students like I wish things were different or I wish um you had more time to sleep or that testing wasn't so central to your, you know, to how we administered school and X, Y, Z. But then on the other hand, a lot of them are the people who are able to make these decisions. And it's one thing, I think it's just, it's, it's a lazy thing to just complain about these issues because it gets you off the, um, because, because it gets like students off your back because they feel like you're on their side, but then you're not doing anything to change these very systems that you have input in because you are um, an educator. Um, and that's kind of my like my general point about about just creating school, making school a thing that just happens because people are curious and people want to learn and people want 
to be educated members of society and not because you need to grill young people on maths and reading skills so that they can become part of the workforce. Um, that's like a larger issue with what happens when you live in a capitalist society, but what's new? Um, on that note, it also kind of reminded me of this TED talk that I saw a couple of days ago. I think it's titled like something like along the lines of colonialism and capitalism have played into making you think that you're a only able to do one thing. And it was this really great talk by, um, actually, I'm not going to tell you too much about that talk because I don't know if I remember any of the details correctly, but the general idea of it was just, you know, thinking back to a lot of these people that we hear about, Leonardo da Vinci being a prime example of someone who was a scientist, but they were also a painter and an architect and an inventor and so many of these things. And other examples I'm just kind of thinking up in my head of um, Ben Franklin, for example, I think he was like also a scientist. I believe he was a doctor as well. Um, and then obviously like he, I think he was a lawyer. I mean, I don't know. He was multiple things is my point. And a lot of great figures in history, but also just like lay people who had educate, who had access to education. I think with everything that I'm saying, it's important to preface that a lot of these people who even had access to education were very privileged, but pushing past that, not because it's not important, but because we're just talking about educated, just, just trying to compare like people who have access to education. Um, these people weren't limited to like one degree or one graduate level degree or one, one career path. There was a lot of mobility with what you wanted to do and what interested you, interested you. And that just doesn't exist in this very capitalist world that we live in today because it's more important for these companies and for these industries for you to just like, you know, get super specialized into one thing and then just become part of the workforce and then spend the rest of your like 50 years or however, however long you're in the workforce. I don't, I don't think it's 50, but like definitely 45 plus, or maybe around 40. Yeah. Definitely like 40 plus years in the industry and just, just milking that skill out until you're no longer useful to them rather than you being able to go to school and do things that you are passionate about and do multiple things that you're passionate about and then figure out things as you go. And this complete change in mentality is, is often attributed to like, you know, school is a lot less affordable than it was before. And it has a lot of these other caveats with just like life being a lot more, the quality of life being so much more expensive, or the cost of life being so much more expensive today than it was like in our grandparents' age, for example. But I also think it's just like a larger problem of, you know, being, having this idea grilled in our head that you are going to be one thing and then that's how you're going to contribute to society. And then you retire because you get too old to move around and then you die. And it's just such a sucky system because it's so not true. And it's a product of, I, I kind of got into why it's a product of capitalism, but also just in terms of colonialism. Um, the speaker was making a great point in that tech talk about how, um, I believe she brought up that it was the Dutch, it was the Dutch East India Company, I believe, that it, like, for example, when it came into India, a lot of taxation was put, a lot of like these textile works and artists, artists like very, artsy materials or artsy careers um, and the products that they made in a lot of, that a lot of those people made were taxed very heavily that made that that which made it so that those materials were bought less and then you had a lot of these other um, materials 
that were a lot more affordable. And so art just became something that was not as affordable anymore. And so the work of art just became something that just wasn't a good job and wasn't something that you would want to go into if you wanted to if first of all if you were the primary breadwinner in your household and also if you just wanted to be able to eat at night and it's all these things that kind of build up and have created the system today where the idea of doing more than one degree or doing several degrees just because you like several different field works is just so it's so it just comes across as like impractical or a waste of time rather than being a person who's genuinely interested in these career paths or these um these areas of science or areas of anthropology or whatever whatever um specific uh field we're talking about overall i think if anything gets taken from this long rant of mine i hope it's that it's not it's not wrong to critically think about a schooling system that we've been a part of since forever there's nothing wrong with it i think that again like i've been in this the school system for about a decade and a half and a lot of times like i'll take a step back and i'll think about why things are the way that they are and it boggles my mind because i'm like, because i would think to myself that I would never question it if I wasn't consciously making an effort to rethink everything that I do and not just do it because I've always done it or because people around me are doing it. And I hope that if you're listening, if you've been listening up to this part, that that becomes a, you know, a part of your mentality of just not only processing education, but processing like other aspects of society as well. But for the context of this podcast, you know, processing education and processing the school system that you've been through or that you are going through um, and recognizing that it doesn't have to be this way, that um, if there's something that you feel uncomfortable with within the school system, that's probably a product of a systematic issue because I choose to believe that like humans are fundamentally like curious creatures. We would like to know how things around us work and we want to contribute to maybe not like bettering all society. I don't think like everyone's built that way or everyone has that mentality, but at least bettering life for ourselves. And if that's even you, if you, if you are even concerned with that aspect, I think that you would like to learn and creating and creating a supportive and um, human environment where people are learning is, should be the fundamental um, priority of a schooling system. And our schools do not reflect that at all. And these were just a couple of points that were on my mind. I think just in reflecting on my own experience, my past and my continued experience. And that is kind of a lot of what I have for you today. So that was ending on a kind of a, an abrupt note, but I, again, I just hope that if any, if this podcast did anything, it just, it gave you some it legitimized some of the things that you probably were already thinking in your head, um, but also kind of opens up a doorway to think more critically about things that you are experiencing or have experienced. And that is all that I have for today. Thank you if you are up to this part of the podcast. That's great. Um, and hopefully you'll be hearing from me soon again. So until next time. <laughs>